Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. I wanted to talk to you just about the mission of the church, and it's very important that we take a a pause and look at what we're doing and why we're doing it, because Jesus has a lot to say about his church and the instruction for us, in particular, as we've witnessed what God is doing among us. And so my message is entitled, Faithful to the Fields, Faithful to the Fields. Let's go ahead and pray over the word today and pray over our time, the rest of our time. Father, we do thank you right now for your word. It's a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. We pray today that you would show us in your word what you want us to know and that we would grow as a result of it, hearing it, Lord, in your presence today. Father, we also pray over our upcoming elections. Many of us in this room and online, we've already voted, and uh, we've done that to the best of our ability. And I pray, God, that during this season, you would bring us together as a church and that we would not be divided. And whoever is president, whether it's a new person or it's the same person on November 3rd, I pray, God, that we would continue to be focused on your mission and the ministry that you've given to us, and that we would not be swayed, we would not be jolted, but, Lord, we would just continue to navigate as you have called us. But, Lord, we do ask that over our country that you would speak peace. We ask that you would pour out your spirit. We pray that you would bring a revival that hearts would be given to Jesus Christ, the gospel would be preached, disciples would be made. We pray that in every branch of government and every office of government, whether that's from the country level or that's state level or that's even in the county level, we pray for accountability. Every one of us is gonna stand before you for our words and deeds. And Lord, there's no exceptions. How we govern, um, how we parent, how we pastor, how we lead, It's all accountable. And Lord, we ask for accountability in this season. We pray, God, for a righteous standard to be raised up in this city, in this county, in this state, and in this country for your glory. And we thank you, Lord, that you're you're at work, whether we see it or not, and we trust you, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, Amen. amen and amen. We are a part of something that is bigger than ourselves and it is bigger than what happens on this property. And that we have a 42-year history of making disciples. We have a 42-year history of preaching the gospel and planting churches. This is what we have done. This is what we will do. And we do this because we're commanded in Scripture and we're compelled by the example of the Lord Jesus, the direct disciples. God is going to continue to expand his family on earth and he's called us every one of us to be a part of it, but also to be a part of it together. Now, you may remember this, but I have recently written, it took me a long time to write it, and I'm gonna annoy you with it. I have recently written a mission statement. Why have I done that? I felt no outside pressure to do that. I felt no inward pressure to do that. I felt like it was important to have a statement that we could unify around, a statement that is clearly biblical, a statement that is clearly missional, what we read about, and we take, obviously, our marching orders from the Lord Jesus, and that statement is this, Northwest Church is on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. I want everybody to say, on mission. On mission. 
on mission. This is so important to, to think about this term. When we wake up in the morning, we're on mission. We go to sleep at night, we're on mission. We, we breathe, we are on mission. As we've given our hearts to the Lord, we, the Bible says we've been purchased with a price. We are no longer our own. That's what it says. To consider the implications of that is quite serious. But we know that we are on mission. Jesus has committed his mission and his ministry into the hands of his church. And so the church is not about potlucks and raffles, although I don't mind a good potluck, especially when you cook. Not me. I'm just going to buy stuff at the store. You know how I roll. I thank God for Qdoba and Chick-fil-A catering. That's all I know. And you thank God that I know how to use the phone when my turn is up. But it's not about potlucks and raffles. It's about continuing what Jesus began, what the disciples clearly, uh, clearly, how they ministered and what they've committed into our hands. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about his mission, which would ultimately be their mission, is our mission, uh, he used farming terminology to further open their eyes so that they would have the right focus. Now, I'm not a farmer. Uh, We might have a few among us, but I don't live close to a farm. I've never lived on a farm. I don't think I know anybody that really owns a farm. Maybe a couple of you, you might. But I, I don't know anything about farming. And so uh, this is, I don't live in an agrarian culture. Um, I, I've planted a few things in my life, so I kind of get the concept. But when Jesus spoke in farming terminology in his day, they all understood what he was saying. They knew exactly what he meant. And I want to use what Jesus said today in Matthew chapter 9, John chapter 4, and there's other places, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 as well, where this language was used, and we want to capture that because it's, it's an understanding into the mission that we've been given. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says this, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. That should make you smile. That's healing every kind of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, think about that, as a result of him looking at the crowds, he's always seeing something that maybe we're not seeing. And that prompted him saying this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, what he saw compelled him to say this to his disciples. He saw something they didn't see. And we need to see it as well. The harvest is plentiful, guys, but the workers are very few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Another translation says, therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. We clearly see from this passage that Jesus uses the metaphor of a field as a picture of the world. And the harvest is the people that as a result of us sharing the gospel will come to Christ. That is the harvest. There are multiple times where the Bible uses the terminology of the harvest. We are called to gather in the harvest, the harvest of souls. The field is the world. This passage, Jesus tells his disciples to pray that workers will be sent into the fields. And he wants us to do the same. In fact, the translation that I referenced to you says, pray earnestly. And I remember thinking to myself, when is the last time that I prayed earnestly that God would send out workers from the church into his field. Earnestly. When's the last time I prayed earnestly? What do I pray earnestly about? What are the things that cause me to pause and really cry out to God about? Well, Jesus said this is something that the church should be praying earnestly about. 
And we're doing that very thing as we've just witnessed the expansion of the church family. It's not just a sentimental moment. It's a moment of mission. That's what we're all about, and that's what we're going to continue to be about. And God wants to call us to be faithful to the fields that he has given us. And I want to first do something. I want to define our fields. There's a real biblical paradigm around the focus of cities and the mission to cities in the Bible. The Bible speaks uh, to a city or a nation more than it does a person, and this can get overlooked. Often when we read scripture, we tend to individualize the Bible. We do it all the time. You don't even realize it's one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of devotional books from the Christian bookstore. I'm I'm not a big fan of them. I know there are some that are okay, but the reason is, is because the Bible wasn't always just meant for us to just get one thing out of it to give me a little bit of encouragement for our day, my, my day. The Bible is this robust, theological, deep book, but words from God that help me to understand who he is, who I am, his plan of salvation, and how this thing is going to end. I mean, it is not just meant for me to get a little encouragement in my day. And sometimes we reduce the Bible down to some kind of bite-sized book where I can get a little bit, a little bit today to make it through my day. Now, I don't want to put that down entirely. I know you're like, Pastor Ben, don't come after me like that. But I'm saying that this isn't what it's about, per se. It's something that we're supposed to understand, something that we're supposed to build our lives on, raise our kids on. Literally, it's the basis of our life. It is how we live as a result of knowing this book because these words are from God. And as we read it, we see that that the Bible is speaking to the church, it's speaking to groups, it's speaking to cities and about cities. Look at the Old Testament. The promised land was divided into cities for Israel. Paul wrote letters to the churches in each city, Ephesus, Corinth, um, Philippi. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, and he talked about different cities and his response to how they were treating him and how they were responding to the gospel. Revelation starts out as a message to seven churches in seven cities. We've been reading about that. It's the church in that city. It's it's not just to an individual. And so one of the things I want to do is we've got to broaden the way that we see ourselves. We've got to see ourselves as a family. That's part of how we are going to make a bigger dent in this world is we've got to stop just thinking about this individualistic call that we have. We are a family. And we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on mission with him together. And we all have a part to play in that. We're called to change cities and regions and nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And cities are transformed when, we, when people reclaim their influence for the sole purpose of spreading the gospel. Cities are transformed when we reclaim our influence. You and I have been given influence in whatever area that we live in. And we're connected to one another as a church. But we've been given that influence, not just so that people would like us. People would think that I'm, that I'm a really nice person. I mean, recently I had a thing that I was involved in in the city, and uh, they wanted me to give a statement. Why are you guys so generous, or why are you guys so good? And I said, because we love Jesus. <laughs> I didn't want them just to know me as a nice person. I'm not just a moral guy. I am a follower of Jesus. I want it to be very clear. You know, you Bible pusher, you're right. <laughs> I am. I'm not ashamed of that. I wouldn't be up here. We wouldn't be together like this if it wasn't about him, if it wasn't about following him. This is not about being just nice people. I mean, I want to be nice. Don't get me wrong. Like, are you saying it's okay not to be nice? No, be nice. Some of us should be nicer. 
you know, that might be the word of the Lord for you. You walk out and say, I'm going to be nicer today. Pastor Ben said I should be. Yeah, maybe that, you know, look in the mirror and if it, you know, if it fits, wear it. I don't know. I'm just saying that, but it's about following him. It's about doing what he's called us to do. And we're doing that together. We're part of a mission. And the field that he has given us, even if we don't live in federal way, the field that God has given us is federal way. And some of you, it's like, I I hear what you're talking about, Federal Way, Ben. You've been talking about this. No, no, no. God has put us on this property in Federal Way, not just to be somewhere that people drive by. So when people feel the call to be a missionary, hear me, please. When people feel the call to be a missionary, they are willing to sell everything. Look at what John and Deanna just shared with us. They're from Colombia. They went to the Dominican Republic, and now they're missionaries here. And what it says to us is that God has called you and I to be missionaries here. Every person is a missionary. We wake up, we have been called by God, we have been outfitted with the gospel and with the power of the Holy Spirit to be missionaries right where we are. This is not our final destination. This is not our eventual home, so to speak. Our home is with him in that heavenly reality that we have been saved for and set apart unto with Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says we're sojourners, we're foreigners in a strange land. I I preached about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're exiles. We're longing for something else and we're calling people to be a part of it. We're calling people to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And this is what it's about. It's so important that we continue to realize that we are missionaries and God has given us a field in federal way, even if we don't live here, but as a family, we live here. As a family, this is our house. Just like all of you have a place to live, this is our house. And God doesn't just want us to have a house here and then we drive to the house once a week. No, this is a place that God is going to continue to plant plant us and develop roots that are gonna go down. How many of you would like to make a very serious dent in the city of Federal Way? Because we are here. I don't just want this building to be here because if you take away the building, does our impact matter anymore? It must, amen? It must. And that's not just up to any one individual, that's up to all of us together. And it starts by us realizing that God put us here. His sovereign hand has us here. Well, let me tell you about the field that we're in. Federal Way consists of 100,000 people spread out inside 22 square miles of land. We are the 10th largest city in the state. 45% white. 19% Hispanic. 19,000 Hispanic people live inside the city of Federal Way. I told John and Deanna they got to reach 19,000 people at least. (laughs) This is why we must have a Hispanic congregation. 13% Asian, 13% black African American. By the way, that's almost the national average. I've actually heard statistics that have said that Federal Way and Tacoma are some of the most diverse cities in the nation, in case you didn't know that. 3% Pacific Islander, what's up to my Samoan family up in here? 1% Native American. This, this is the demographics of our city. It's, it's, not, it's not an issue of whether or not we're a multicultural or multi-ethnic church, we must be. To reflect the city, we must be. So let me say this to you, if you're here and you have a second language, if you're here and you have a different, you have another culture, um, as well as the American culture, which is sort of the melting pot, right? (laughs) 
and you feel like you're not at home, you're exactly at home. You're exactly at home. Maybe we haven't figured out how to do all this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, you know, that we've got a long ways to go. But we must have a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual ministry here. And if you have a secondary or a primary culture, language, or ethnicity, you're home. And everybody that is here that is a part of this congregation is going to help us to figure out who God has called us to be in the field that he has planted us. It all matters. Average age is 36. 50% male and female split right down the middle in federal way. Average income, $42,000 unless they're educated beyond college. 13% are under the poverty line. 65 to 70% of kids in our schools are, have subsidized lunches. Our highest demographic, by the way, is those that are between the ages of 4 and 14, and did you know at our church and our planning center and our database, the highest demographic at our church is between ages four and 11? Some, sometimes people will say, well, it's, it's, it's 65 plus. That's not true. Actually, the, the ages that are registered the highest in our database, the current ages, the current people in our database, which we have totally gone through over the last eight months because we had a little extra time. 4,500 people in our database roughly. And the highest age by far is 4 to 11. Does that mean that our ministry should reflect where we need to minister the most? Yes. This, is why I'm, this is our field. This is our reality. 37 schools, 21 are elementary, obviously, because there's so many kids and they're growing. 6,000 vets live in Federal Way. 25% of the people that live in Federal Way were foreign born. They were not born in America. 111 languages are spoken by the residents of this city. If you're committed to this church, then this is the field that God has called us to together. You say, well, I live in Auburn. I live in Des Moines. I live in Tacoma. I live, some, some of you live in Mercer Island. We've got people from all over, Ording and, and so on. But God chose for us to have a house here. And not just to be housed, but there's something special. And the, the day I came here, I knew it. The day I came here, I knew it. So we're defining our fields. Now, God has given us a new field in Edgewood. Jonathan's got to do his demographic homework, okay? And you will if you haven't. But he's going to continue to multiply that. And we, we understand that God has placed us in a city. And he speaks to us as the church, a church in that city to make a difference. And we may not make a massive difference, but we're going to make a difference as one of the churches in the city. And it's going to matter it's going to matter. And I'm calling us to consider that. Now, what do we have to do? We've got to own the field that we're in. This is what changes, this is what changes the city that we're in is we have ownership. We've got to be faithful, and it, it means that we've got to have ownership. Ownership is a mindset. Ownership is a mindset. Being missionaries to this region is not a passive thing, and it will not happen accidentally. It won't happen just because we're here. It will happen because we have a sense of responsibility for where we are. You know the difference between an ownership mindset and a renter's mindset or somebody that occupies once in a while. I come here rather than this is where I am. This is where God has planted me. It's a huge difference. When I was just a young boy, my dad was a, a landlord. He was also a real estate agent. It's how I got into the business. Um, I'm not in it anymore, by the way. So don't call me <laughs> for that. <laughs> but... 
My dad was buying homes, and from a young age, I would work on homes. In fact, I can remember one summer, this is just like, a, I, re, I think I need counseling over this, but we, one summer, we actually dug out a crawl space of a house that my dad and his partner had purchased. And uh, I mean, we found like dead cat bones and all kinds of stuff, but it, it's, I'm, I still need healing, but we, <laughs> there was no crawl space. We had to literally dig out all the dirt so that it had a crawl space. I was a boy. I was a little boy. So if you kids are in here and you think, oh, my summer's not been awesome, I dug out a crawl space. <laughs> all right? And I'm still needing healing, I'm gonna, and I'm 40. You guys are praying for me. I appreciate that. All right, so, but, but my dad would rent out houses and we would go to those homes when somebody would move out. And obviously, one of the things you want to do is you want to look at the condition of the property. And you have, uh, usually you have some money that you've taken in, and you're going to see how much of that money you can, you can give back, a damage deposit. And so I remember the first time that I walked into this one house that had just been totally trashed. My dad owned the house with a partner. And I'm, I'm just a boy, and I'm walking through, and, and walls are banged up. Kitchen cabinets are broken. Things are stolen. And I'm looking at all this. I'm like, why would they do something like this? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but one of them is they didn't own it. That's just one of the reasons. They didn't own it. You, if you own it, you're not going to treat it like that. Now, I can also remember when Bridget and I and, and our two older boys and our daughter at the time, not our youngest son, we moved into the home that we had moved from to come here. And it was a newer home, and man, I'll tell you what, I, I wanted to get that nice carpet. You, do anybody know what I'm talking about? I wanted to get that carpet that when you take your shoes off, put your, you plant your feet in there, you're like, ooh, mm. <laughs> I always wanted nice carpet. You know, I felt like I had never had nice carpet. And so we moved into this house. The first thing I wanted was, I'm going to get that nice carpet, Bridget. You know, and she <laughs> thankfully said yes. And so I paid, we paid $5,600. Now, it would have been like 10 grand now because that was 14 years ago or 15 years ago. We've, I can, to this day, I can remember the check number, $5,600. Now, we became a shoes-off community because, come on, somebody say 5,600. All right? So we have two older boys, and I can remember, man, I'll tell you what. I can remember just a few times as a couple months transpired. Everybody was shoes off, but the first couple months, you know, then, then it just sort of wore off. And I remember one of my unnamed sons, he, uh, he had his shoes on one time. And I saw him, and in my mind, I thought, do you like your feet? Because I can take them off right now if you can't learn to take your shoes off. See, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't buy that. He didn't own that, you understand and so there was this always a difference. I, I actually, I remember one time vividly in my mind, I remember we were at the door and somebody was coming in. We had a guest and uh, another one of my unnamed sons, uh, not Judah, so don't blame him, but it was another one of my unnamed sons who said to our guest as they walked in the door and saw I didn't have any shoes on, they said to my son, do, you, do I need to take my shoes off? And they said, no, it doesn't matter. Right in front of me. Oh my gosh. I was, what is wrong with you? 5,600. <laughs> and so I developed this statement in my, in my own family, and maybe you can relate to this, and the statement was this. This is not your home until you treat it like it's your home. I know you might judge me for that, but I don't care. <laughs> I had to walk through that 50, that was a huge check. I don't know if $5,600 is a lot of money to you, but to me, that was like everything. I mean, they didn't initially treat it like it was their home. And I wanted to teach my kids, you need to treat this like it's your home. And if it's your home, you have to have ownership. 
And ownership looks like something. And it's not like pride, like the Bible talks against pride, uh, about pride. That's not the kind of pride. It's that whatever you have, you take care of. You own that. That's yours. And because there's a sense of responsibility. If it gets dirty, you clean it. It's, it's not like you can just let it go. Like the homes that my, my dad had walked me through as a boy when they were trashed. And they could just leave and nobody had to care. There's a sense of ownership. We are not members of the church. We are owners of the vision of the church. We are owners. I would prefer to use that terminology. We're owners. You're not members. This isn't some elite club. This isn't a country club. You know, this is, we are owners. God has called us to something. And he's given us everything that we need to make it happen. I love that. We're on mission. This is serious. You know, I think we forget that we are missionaries, that God has sent us back into the world to bring people into relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the greatest thing that anybody could be involved with. Oh, just smile. If you own what God has called you to, it changes everything about your life. Everything. And when you get, I've, I've, um, I've just had such a unique privilege at, at my age to be with a lot of people at the end of their life. You know, I, was, um, I started a church service in an Alzheimer's residence home. And people are literally losing their mind. And every week it gets worse and worse. I was a 21-year-old guy. Started a church service at uh, Aegis in Kirkland. Still goes on to this day. That was 20, almost 20 years ago. And I can remember g- going there and just... I've, I've sat with people. I mean, as a result of doing that, I sat with a lot of people in hospice care facilities. I've sat with a lot of people while they're dying. And it's amazing what happens in those moments. I've probably sat with more people in that scenario than a lot, than a lot of us, just because I was willing to say yes. There's no other reason. It wasn't because I love people more than you. It was just, I said yes to one thing and it led me into this thing that I didn't realize I was signing up for. But I, I sat with a lot of people, held a lot of people's hands while they were dying. And I'll tell you what happens in those moments is a lot different than you think, a lot differently than I thought. And when you do that, you realize that you got no, there's no more chances. I mean, it's, it's, it's over. And all you have, and I, I can't tell you, it's almost always regret. It's almost always regret. There are very few people that have looked up into my eyes and said, I just can't wait to be with Jesus. I, I'm, I just want to be in his presence. That's it. I just, I just want to enter in. They, they, they were ready. You know, they were ready. Most people weren't ready. Most people were regretful. My job, our job, is to prepare us for Jesus every day of our life. Do not be deceived. We get, we get persuaded that everything else is more important. And friends, it is not true. The, the world is working overtime to distract us and to destroy our purpose. But make no mistake, we are all going to be that person one day. And our life and the decisions that we made matters. And they've got to line up to what God called us to. This is what it's all about. This is not some hype. I'm not a hype man and I'm not trying to excite you to the newest, latest, and greatest. He gave us a mission. And it is awesome. And all we want, all we must do is stay faithful to what Jesus has called us to. We've got to stay faithful to that. It's going to cost us a lot more than maybe we want to pay. It's going to cost us but that's okay because we want to stay faithful to him. That's all that it matters. Do we want to own the field or do we want to drive and visit the field once a week? I'm just waiting for, you know, sort of a consensus here. All right, got a couple. If we're going to own it, we got to invest into it, right? 
At the church in Corinth, believers had disputes that led to serious divisions, and Paul spoke into that, 1 Corinthians 3, 5. What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task? We each have a task. You don't have to be the greatest evangelist. We all have a task. This is what I'm saying. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither who plants or waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. But do you notice that people planted? Do you notice that people watered? They had a role, they played a part. God was the one that gave the increase, but he gave it following those who were sowing into the field. The man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. We are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. We can't make miracles happen. We can't make people say yes to Jesus, but we can sow. We can plant seeds. We can water those seeds. And if we sow, come on, somebody, God will make it grow. It's been a long time since I gave you a rhyme, but if we sow, God will make it grow. But we got to give the Holy Spirit more to work with. So my agenda is not to plant a church in every city. My agenda is to do what Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded, not just the easy parts, but teach them to obey everything, the stuff that makes you cringe the stuff that makes you dance, amen, the stuff that gives you encouragement, the stuff that gives you conviction. Teach them to obey all of it. And he said, and I'm with you until the end of the age. You know why he said that? Because it's gonna be hard. When making disciples and baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything and when all this stuff starts to happen and it doesn't look like the way you want it to, as imperfect as it is, you can know this, I am with you in the mission until the end of the age. He's not just saying I'm with you, he's saying I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. It's his idea. It's his field. He calls us to the harvest of the earth. And he's gonna call us into that. Northwest Church is on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved, disciples made. Evangelism and discipleship is our calling. You say, how do I be a part? You gotta be a part some way, I don't know. But you and your, your own heart and mind, as we're a part of this together, God will lead you and being a part that he's called you to be. And I think this season is just drawing it out of us. It's drawing it out of us. Lord, I want my life to count. I want it to matter. And it will. Amen? Let's just give it to Jesus today as a church. Will you stand? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you today for what you're doing. Clearly, you're doing something marvelous, something beautiful. We thank you for the congregations among us. God, this is your thing. You're the pastor of the church. This has been happening at Northwest for a long time. We pray, God, that it would continue. Lord, in fact, I pray today that you would plant new seeds inside of us that would come to life. I pray that no hype could overtake us, but Lord, the fire of the Lord would touch us today, that we are torch carriers we want revival, and Lord, we ask for it, but we also commit ourselves to whatever it takes to see that come about. However you want to use us and whatever you want to do, Lord, help us to have the mindset of missionaries. We understand the field that you've given to us. For each one of us, it's our neighborhood, but for us as a family, it's Federal Way, it's Edgewood. We own that, Lord. We take responsibility, and we pray that you would help us to steward well what you have given to us as a church. 
as individuals, as families, but as a church. So we choose to be on mission with you and we ask you to help us know what that means and how we're supposed to sow, how we're supposed to plant, how we're supposed to water so that we can ultimately see you grow all that you want to have in this season, that the harvest would be given to you. Lord, it'd be pleasing in your eyes. We thank you, God, in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.